So I am so grateful that you get to uh, meet Dwight and Barb. I've known them for about 16 years uh, here at Crossroads. And not only is God doing really cool work through them in South America, now into Latin America, but they are also just a hoot to hang out with. I mean, they are, they are some fun people. And so you'll actually have the opportunity to talk about them to them a little bit more. You can talk about them too, I guess. But um, out in the lobby today, uh, there's a little table set up. If you want to get to know them a little bit more, you'll have that opportunity uh, after service today. Um, if you are new with us, uh, welcome to Crossroads Church. My name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And uh, today, today we are starting a brand new sermon series really based on Jesus's most famous words. In fact, these words are so famous that Jesus spoke that they get their own little headline in the Bible. We call them the Great Commission. And if you've never heard these words before, uh, they came from Jesus after he's resurrected. He's hanging with his disciples and he looks at his disciples and he says this to them. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the important word in this passage I want you to pay attention to is the word go. And literally what it means in the Greek is in your going, that as you are going through your life, this is what you're to be doing. In your going, I want you to make disciples. As you are living out your life, I want you to baptize people. That as you're walking through this world, I want you to teach people the values that I've taught you. And as we open up the beginning pages of scripture and look at the early church, we see that the church is living this out in fantastic and amazing ways. I mean, I mean, they're making such a difference by, by living this out. And then something interesting happens in church history. That as church history begins to unfold, we begin to interpret Jesus' words a little bit different. How many of you have seen uh, the movie Filled of Dreams with Kevin Costner? Anybody in here? Yeah, okay, good. Most all of us, good. So in that, we've taken on as a church, Big C Church, that this mission that Jesus has given us, we started to interpret it through like the Filled of Dreams philosophy. You build it and they will... They'll come. Yeah, they'll come. And what we started to, to really interpret Jesus' words is, is when they come, like we're going to build these big buildings, we're going to make these buildings beautiful and huge, and, and when people come, we'll make disciples. And when they show up, we'll baptize them. And when they wander into our presence, we'll, we'll teach them all that, that Jesus has for them. And we've taken this great mission of going into the world and we've turned it into this kind of common sea type of mentality and that's just not Jesus' words. It's not Jesus' words. In fact, because of these words that Jesus spoke, one could make a pretty strong argument that the church is the only organization in the world that does not exist for itself but for those who do not yet belong. That the church does not exist for itself but it actually exists for those, for those who do not yet belong. That we are to go, that in our going, we are to live out this great mission, which is not just a mission for Crossroads Church, but a mission for all churches, the big C church. And so that's what this series is really about over the next couple of weeks. This series is about how we as Crossroads take these words from Jesus very seriously. This great assignment that Jesus has given us. How do we live this out in our going? How do we live this out in our, in our lives when we think about it globally, locally, and individually? And so today we're starting with the global perspective. We're dubbed this Mission Sunday. And what I want to do to my best of abilities today is articulate for you today why we do global missions 
what our strategy is when it comes to missions and how you can get involved today. So that when you walk out of this service today or when you turn off your computers at home, that when you walk away, you know what it looks like in your going to live this out from a global worldview. Now, in order for, this to do, for us to do this, I need you to open up your Bibles or your Bible app, and I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 15, all right? Now, Romans is a book, well, really, it's a letter that was written by a guy that we call the Apostle Paul. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Apostle Paul is like the goat. He's like the greatest of all time when it comes to missionary endeavors. In fact, you'll not find anybody who will argue with you that Paul is the greatest. He is the greatest missionary that has ever lived on this planet. And so it only makes sense to us is if you're going to understand missions, we better pay attention to what Paul actually had to say about it. And so in Romans chapter 15, he writes these words, starting in verse 20, he says this, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What Paul is writing here is something that's true of every single one of us, and that is we all have ambition, that every single one of us has ambition, that my life flows from my ambitions, your life flows from your ambitions, that each and every one of us has a desire, a passion, aspirations that ultimately drive our lives, that all of us have this ambition. And maybe for you, your ambition in life is to make as much money as you can. For others of you, maybe it's to have a great family or, or to, you know, Uh, to help other people. Maybe that's your great ambition is, is to help others in this world. For some of you, it's to live as comfortably as you possibly can. For others, it's to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. The reality is, is that we all have ambition. We all have these passions that drive our lives. And Paul is no different. And Paul says to anybody who wants to know that I have an ambition, and as we peer intimately into his life, we see that his ambition is not built on these worldly desires, but rather it's this godly ambition that flows from the scripture. Let me show you how. For those of us who have, or who are a part of Crossroads, then you'll know over the last, um, you know, last few months, last six months or so, we've been studying the book of Acts. And it's such a big book that we're doing it in seasons. And so just last week, we finished season two. And in season two, we read in Acts chapter nine, the conversion, the point in Paul's life where he trusts Jesus and becomes a believer. It's a remarkable story that we looked at in depth in Acts chapter nine, where Paul, the great persecutor of the faith, becomes this this great missionary, that he has this experience with the resurrected Jesus and it changes his life. Now, all of that happens in Acts chapter nine, but later on in Acts chapter 26, Paul actually lets us in on the conversation that he had with Jesus when he experienced him on the Damascus road. He actually gives us insight of of what happened during that experience with him. And he writes these words in Acts chapter 26, starting in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 18 here in the middle of the screen. It said, Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He says, Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes, to open their eyes. Now, the question we have to ask is whose eyes? Like whose eyes is Jesus sending Paul to open? 
And the answer to that question is the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, that's, that's the nations of the world that aren't Jewish. It's like Jesus pulls out a game plan and he says, okay, Paul, I'm going to share the game plan with you. And he pulls out this map and he circles Israel and he says, okay, Pete and the boys, they got Israel in lockdown. You got everywhere else. <laughs> you in? And Paul says, I'm in. Jesus, I'm, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness, so that the nations may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith, by faith in me. Now, here's what we see, is that when it comes to Paul, undeniably, Paul got his calling in life he got his calling in life from the resurrected, sovereign, all-sovereign Jesus to be the light of the nations. That's what these verses are about, that Jesus is saying, Paul, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the nations to bring my gospel, to bring my lights, to make the gospel go global. But that's not what he says in Romans chapter 15, is it? It's not what we just read. He doesn't say that I have this ambition to be the light of the nations, to bring the gospel of Jesus to those who have not ever heard the name of Jesus because Jesus is the one who sent me to do it. He does not say that. What he says is I have this ambition that I'm, I'm controlled by this passion, not because of what I experienced on the road of Damascus, on the road to Damascus, but rather because of Isaiah chapter 52, which is why in your Bibles, in your Bible apps, those words there are actually like, you know, set off, they're indented because he's quoting scripture. He's quoting Isaiah 52, which says, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard of him will, will understand. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, maybe I'm just a Bible nerd, but it's interesting to me that Paul doesn't point to his conversion experience to explain the ambition that he has in his life, to which you should be asking the question, why? Like, why doesn't Paul... Why does Paul go to Isaiah 52 and say, my ambition is driven out of Isaiah 52 instead of just saying, because Jesus told me so. Like, this is what Jesus said to me. Why does he go instead to the Old Testament? Here's the answer to why. That when Jesus called upon Paul on that road to Damascus to take the, the gospel to the nations who had never heard it, Paul went to the Old Testament to look for confirmation and really explanation of how this calling works in the grander plan of Jesus, and he found it. He found it in Isaiah 52. And the remarkable thing about this, and the most relevant thing for us even today, even today, is that in Paul going to the Old Testament, as he's writing this letter to the Romans, for our sake, he doesn't refer to his experience on the Damascus Road, an experience that you and I will never have but rather he grounds his calling in the scriptures which you and I always have. And Paul says that when you look for your passions in your life, the ambitions that drive your lives, he says, turn your eyes to the scriptures that of what God has revealed to be the driving factor of your life. And in doing so, as he plants his ambition in the scriptures, he gives us the global reasoning of why the church should pay attention to missions around the world. He says that the reason why the church should care about going into the nations, 
comes from our personal experience, an experience that every, no, I shouldn't say that, an experience that most all of us have had with Jesus, where we've made him our Lord and Savior, and out of that personal encounter with Jesus, we are shaped, informed, and empowered by his written word. That the church should be paying attention because of our experience with Jesus that ultimately is confirmed by his word that we're to bring the gospel to the world, which leads us to an interesting thought. Because what Isaiah says, it tells us, is that there are people who are living on this earth who do, not, who do not even know the name of Jesus. And the interesting thought is this. If there are people who don't even know the name of Jesus, are they responsible to believe on him for salvation? If there are people who are actually living in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus, are they responsible? Are they responsible to believe on him for their salvation? Paul actually answers this question in Romans chapter 1. I want to read it to you, and as I do, I want you to feel the weight of these verses the way that Paul must have felt them. These words are sobering words written about people, the people of this world who have never heard the name of Jesus and is the reason for Paul's ambition, driving to reach them. He writes in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, he writes these words, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, mainly his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. These are the fatal words that define the immeasurable need that Paul sees. Like despite what Lizzo said at the Grammys, the core of humanity is unrighteous. It is ungodly. It is in constant rebellion towards God. And because of this rebellion, because of our ungodliness, we suppress the truth. The truth that God shows throughout all of the world that he's alive and that he's real and that he loves. Like, like as humanity is, we, we suppress that truth in our lives and we fail to see it. And Paul says, because of that ungodliness in us, that none of us are without excuse because God has made himself known. He goes on and he says this, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This is the beginning of sin in our lives. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. What Paul is saying here is that the failure to honor God as good and the failure to give thanks to God is the beginning of sin. And in the beginning of sin is what ultimately darkens our hearts and leads us on a path that is away from God to a place where we bring our worship to dolls, to things that are made out of stone and rock, to bring our worship to, to little pieces of paper that we call currency 
where we give our lives over to the idols of this world. He wraps it up this way in Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. In other words, the people of this world will be judged according to what they have had access to. And no one will have an excuse that every person who does not receive the gospel will perish because everybody suppresses the truth because of the ungodliness and the rebellion that is in us, that we repress, that we suppress that truth, that God is in the creation. And we constantly rebel against God. And the reality is that there's one hope, and that one hope is believing and trusting in the name of Jesus, which is why Paul says, we got to go. we got to go. Like, what kind of love is it that allows people to live in their ignorance and their ungodliness and just, and just allow them to think that one day God's mercy is going to be shown on them? For, for what reason? Because they're rebellious? Because they give the middle finger to him? Like, what kind of love is that? It's the unwavering conviction that Paul has of why he suffers so much for the sake of the gospel, why he endured shipwrecks and beatings and stonings, why he was thrown into prison multiple times and yet never, never was quieted when it came to the gospel, that he continued to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus to people who had never heard the name of Jesus because to not do it or to be indifferent towards it meant that souls were being destined to hell. And Paul was like, not on my watch, not why I'm alive. It's not going down like that. See, the greatest need that any person ever has, the greatest need that can ever be imagined, the greatest need is to hear the gospel of Jesus and to believe in it. That what the, what the scriptures make so clear is that no one is saved without it. That we as a church, as a church, have the responsibility to bring the good news of Jesus to the people of the world. And I just want to pause here for a moment because I know that there's probably some here today, even watching online, where you've not trusted Jesus. And maybe this is the first time in your life that you've ever even heard this, that you've ever even seen this. Michelle, can we just put the text message up on the screen for a moment? Our text number here is 720-513-1933. And if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, I would encourage you just to take out your phone. There's no shame in it right now. And to text the name of Jesus to that number. And I promise you, this week, we will get with you to have the conversation about what it looks like to walk with Jesus in your life. See, this is why we do what we do as a church. This is why we do what we do when it comes to global missions. And so if that's the why and the reason, let me kind of articulate the strategy for you. If you're new to Crossroads, or maybe you just haven't heard this in a while, our whole strategy actually comes out of these verses in Romans chapter 15. It's Romans chapter 15, verse 19. It says this. Paul writes these words. He says, from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, geographically, geographically, what he's what he's writing about here is Paul's journey from Jerusalem, where he went from Jerusalem up through Syria, across Turkey, modern-day Turkey, down into the eastern side of Greece to the bottom, up back around on the western side, headed north into Italy, and ultimately ended up in what we would call Albania today. And he looks out and he says, after this journey, I have fulfilled my gospel ministry. 
I have done what God has called me to do. And he underlines the surprising comment just a few verses later in verse 23 when he writes this, that I no longer have any room, I no longer have any room to work in this region. I gotta go to Spain, is what he says. Now, we read this and we go, Paul, what in the world are you talking about? Like, like you don't have any room to work in this region anymore? I mean, this is a really large area. If you just made like a straight line travel of where Paul went, it would have been over a thousand miles long. I mean, it is no risk to say that there are hundreds of thousands of people who lived in this region during this time who had not yet heard the name of Jesus. And yet, and the reason we know that is because Paul says it himself. In fact, he writes to Timothy, who's actually living in Ephesus, what we would call modern-day Turkey, and he says, look, man, people need to hear the name of Jesus. You need to go out and do the work of evangelism. You need to go out and do the work of an evangelist. And so if you're following along, Paul says, everybody needs to hear the gospel of Jesus in order to be saved. And there are people in this region who have not yet heard the name of Jesus, who need to hear the name of Jesus in order to be saved, and then he says, and my work is done. Okay, Paul, like you're going you're gonna to have to help us out here. What, what's going on here? So maybe it would help me to, to clarify what's being said in terms of some definitions here and, and where we get a little mixed up in this. When it comes to missions, oftentimes we make missions synonymous with the evangelist or evangelism. Now, while they may be similar, the reality is, is they're not the same, that missions is not the same as evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. It's any time you or I go and we share our faith, we share our beliefs with an unbeliever. That's what we call evangelism. And that's going to happen until Jesus comes back. There's always opportunity to go out and to share your faith with someone who does not believe until the day that Jesus comes back. Missions, on the other hand, relates to people groups, not just people. Now, when you hear the word people groups or the phrase people groups, think of people who speak the same language, who have the same culture, who have the same values. That's a people group. So, for example, we'll take, you know, Africa. You could have two tribes living in Africa that are relatively ge geographically near each other. And if they, if they speak this different languages, they speak different languages and they are different people groups. Now, when it comes to the world, the world has about 17,000 people groups. And it's relatively stable, like it doesn't go up or down very much, that there's 17,000 people groups, of which 10,000 have been reached, 7,000 people groups have not yet been reached. That is, that they don't either have a church that is strong enough to do the work of evangelism, or they're actually a group of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Like no one's actually come and actually shared what, what the Bible is all about with them. 7,000. Now, do the quick math. There are over 300,000 churches in the United States alone. That this is totally doable. That we can go out and we can, we can reach the people groups of the world. That when it comes to missionaries, missionaries cross cultures. They learn languages. They plant the church through preaching the gospel among people groups who have either not yet heard the name of Jesus or do not have a church that is strong enough to carry on the work of evangelism. So when Paul's speaking here, what he's saying is not that there are people who have not yet heard. What he's saying is, is that I've not been called to be a local evangelist, that God has called me to be a missionary. That is, my calling is not to do the work of evangelism. That is the work of the local church, that my calling is to go where few or no Christians live in order that they might hear the name of Jesus. This is our strategy at Crossroads Church when it comes to missions. 
to go into the places where we can share Jesus with people who do not yet know him, who maybe have not even heard the name of Jesus. And the way that we accomplish that is through nine areas of impact. Nine areas of impact is what we've identified to carry out this strategy. The first one is human trafficking, to abolish human and sexual trafficking. We have missionaries that we support who are in this work. We're in the middle of that. Church planting, discipleship, economic development, education, evangelism, where we come alongside churches and help them in this local mission. Health and wellness, immigrants and refugees, training of missionaries around the world. That's the strategy. And in all of these areas, we have opportunity to walk into the darkness to bring the gospel of Jesus. So we've discussed why we do missions. We align with Paul's ambition. That's our strategy. So let's make this hands-on. What does it look like in your going to be involved in global missions? What I want to do is spend the last seven minutes of our time together really giving you five ways that you can right now get involved in global missions. The first is this, is that your generous support of Crossroads enables us to give to these initiatives. That we have several initiatives that we participate in as well as supporting 11 missionaries here at Crossroads Church that every single one of our missionaries, we support between somewhere between 10 and 15% of their yearly need in order to do the work that God has called them to do. On top of that, we fund projects for them. We have money set aside for their personal needs in case they have medical issues that come up or maybe there's a death in the family that they have to get back for. That when we say we support uh, missionaries, we walk with them deeply. And because of your generous support, we're able to do that time and time again in the lives of, of global missionaries. Every week at the end of service, we get up here and we have a generosity moment where we say that your giving is making a difference. In part, this is where your giving goes. The second thing that you can do is pray. Out in the lobby on one of the tables, we created these, these cards and on the front of them is all of our missionaries. On the back is where they're all at. And every day you can take this and you can just pray for missionaries around the world who are doing the work of, of global missions, of carrying the gospel to places that are not here. On top of that, every Thursday, our prayer chain is missions-focused. Tracy Crosby, who's part of our mission team, writes those prayers. And every week, we, we send those out of, here's what's, how we can pray for the nations. The third thing is that out in the lobby today is Compassion International. A couple of years ago, in 2021, we partnered with Compassion International, which is an organization that offers sponsorship for, chi- for children. Now, when we come to this, we decided that we were going to sponsor children in a very specific area in Guatemala, Mazatenango, Guatemala. There, the average person makes less than $1.25 a day, that they are the very definition of poverty. And today you have the opportunity as you leave to pick up a child, to sponsor a child, and for $38 a month that you can lift their entire family out of poverty, that you can do for one child what you wish that you could do for so many Now, here's the cool thing about our compassion here at Crossroads Church, is that when it comes to compassion, we sponsored all the children that we were able to sponsor in Mazatenango, and so we've actually started to spread out through the whole western part of Guatemala to continue to lift children out of poverty. The fourth thing that we have for you today is we have three short-term mission trips that are going to happen in the next 12 months. The first one that's going to be coming up in May of this year is a trip to Lebanon. 
Uh, we've had work in Lebanon for the past four or five years, particularly in the Syrian refugee crisis, but we also work with another group of people there called INSAF. And what INSAF does is it works with the what they were called the maids of society in Lebanon. One of the cultural things in Lebanon is that the Lebanese people bring maids, largely from the Philippines and Africa, into uh, their homes to take care of their kids or to do house chores around. This is a common thing in Lebanon. Now, they come on work visas, and because of economically what's happened, but even the people that are more shady, morally shady in Lebanon, it is oftentimes cheaper to allow that work visa to expire and get a new maid than it is to update that work visa for your maid. And so what happens is these maids have their visas expire and all of a sudden they're there illegally and the only real chance that they have at life is to put themselves into the sex trade industry and to sell their bodies for sex in order to live. If they're picked up in Lebanon, they're literally thrown into a dungeon to live the rest of their lives out there until they die. In May, we're sending a group to Lebanon. It's a girl's trip, all right? Girl's party. If you're a girl, you can go to this. If you're a guy, sorry, we got other trips. But, but we're looking for a couple of girls to be able to go there, ladies to go there, in order to help with this ministry in Lebanon. That's the first trip. The second trip is going to happen in January of 24. Barb Bullock, who you just met this morning, uh, one of the cool things that you saw in the video is this development that she has of her virtue curriculum. Now, what you didn't hear is that when it comes to this virtue curriculum that Texas A&M saw how valuable it is, and they actually picked it up and asked Barb to come and do her PhD work at Texas A&M. Right now, that curriculum is in study, and as soon as it gets through study, they're going to make it published so that this curriculum is going to go global for these girls 11 to 13 years old to teach them virtue, which ultimately keeps them out of things like human trafficking and sex trafficking in their world. Now, one of the places of study is in Costa Rica, and in January, they're going to be celebrating kind of the first movement of this, and they've asked if we can send a team of both men and women there to celebrate and to support the church that's moving this, and so that opportunity is coming. And then the third opportunity that we have is sometime in this winter, we are going to go to Guatemala. And so this trip is going to be the biggest. It's going to be 15 to 20 people. And if you have a kid that you're sponsoring in Guatemala, you will have the opportunity to go and visit that child, to work with those families, to work with the church there, and to uh, be with your kid for about a week. And so in the lobby or online, uh, you have the opportunity to sign up for that today. The fifth and last thing is this, is that maybe today you feel the Spirit speaking to your soul to become a long-term missionary. Like as we walked through this, there was something about Paul's ambition that resonated deeply in your soul that's more than just a short-term mission trip, but to be really a missionary, to, to go long-term into the mission field. Listen, Crossroads wants to be a sending church. We want to send people who want to be missionaries. We want to support you. We want to put you into the field to do great work around the world. When I was a teenager... Um, I went to Crossroads when I was a kid, and I remember sitting right where you're sitting. I was sitting there with my family, and one day we had a missionary from Mexico come and speak to the church. And that day I was sweating bullets the entire time because I just knew that when we walked out of church that my dad was going to go to Mexico and be a missionary. <laughs> And I was just sweating bullets. And as a 13-year-old, like I have never prayed more fervently that God would not call my dad to the mission field <laughs> than I did on that day. Now, 30 years later, as I look back, I think, what a dumb prayer. What a dumb prayer. Like when it comes to being a missionary, it is not a hindrance to be called by God. It's actually an adventure. And let me just say one more thing on this issue. 
One of my biggest frustrations as a pastor when it comes to this whole thing of being a missionary is watching someone who feels like God is calling them into this type of service, to serve him in this way, to go global with their faith in a way that they're working in a foreign country and then watching their well-meaning Christian parents suck the life out of that dream because of their own fears and their own securities. It's as if being, becoming a missionary is the worst thing that could ever happen to your kid. It's not. It's maybe one of the best. If you're here today, regardless of your age, we've partnered with International Ministries, I am, and to help you discern what it looks like if you feel that God's calling you into the field. Regardless of what age, out in the lobby again is a QR code. You can stand that. There's a short form that you need to fill out, fill out. And we will walk with you in the course of the several weeks to months, even to years, to see what God is doing in your life with this calling of your life. All that's happening in the lobby today, this is Mission Sunday. And so I'm just going to close this in prayer before we take communion. So if you would bow, let's pray. Father, Lord, we are grateful, Lord, for the strong history here at Crossroads Church of being a missions-centric church. Lord, that you have done so much through us and in us. Lord, I pray for the missionaries that we support all around the world, missionaries who we've come to love and missionaries who, who we sit back and watch and cheer them on doing the extension of, of our work around the, around the world. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we just have an opportunity today to talk about what it looks like to bring the gospel to people who have yet to hear your name. Lord, I pray that we would not run away from that, but rather, Lord, that we would run into it. Lord, that those 7,000 people groups that are left in this world to be reached, Lord, that you would inspire us to be a part of that great work. And Father, today I pray, Lord, I pray for those who maybe are in the room or watching online, that when we talk about the gospel and and knowing who, who you are and hearing the name of Jesus, that, that that's a decision that they've, they've yet to make in their life. God, today I pray that through this, that you would make yourself real to them. That they would come to see you and know you and love you. Lord, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. Give us the courage to go in our lives, making disciples, baptizing people, teaching what it means to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Today we come together like we do every week, celebrating communion, remembering, remembering what Jesus did on the cross that brings about our salvation. That the believing in the name of Jesus is because at the cross his body was broken for the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our rebellion, our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, that Jesus died for it all, his body was broken for it all. And so today we, we eat and we remember. It was there at the cross where Jesus' blood was spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. And so today together as a church, as a family, we drink the cup of our salvation. In house, I'm gonna ask you to stand as we sing together.
And I would invite you over the next 20 minutes or so, if you need prayer, you can make your way over here to the prayer banner and we'd love to pray for you. Whether you're going through a hard time and you just need someone to stand beside you and to pray for you. Maybe you have something going on in your life where, where you feel like God's calling you to step into missions in some way and you just need someone to pray with you and that we would, we would love to do that. And so with that said, we're gonna sing to our, our great King. So let's do that together.